behold a pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead, and hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Declarations of War. I'm your host, Alexei Avkar, joined by my co-host, Artemis Albosa. Howdy, howdy. Ian Tan is in Iceland right now, uh, or recovering from Iceland, depending on, on when exactly he is in the world. But uh, he is going through the CSM Summit, which we'll talk about a little more later. It looks like it's going well. Uh, today we have a very special guest for this 141st episode of the Declarations of War podcast from the Test Alliance Tournament team. Exit Static Defeaty. Hello, thank you for having me. First off, some shout-outs. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Breakfast Club crew. Uh, this is Noir's Friday Night Fights team. They've been not doing their weekly run because they've been practicing for the tournament. Now that it's over, they are back in business, and I've missed them terribly. So thank you, guys. Great to fly with you. Talk about more about that later in the show as well. Artemis? Yeah, thanks for turning out to our fantastic fleet. My shout-out also comes from that fleet, although it's to somebody that we were looking at fighting. Uh, Pen is out. They're a low-sec pirate faction warfare group. I think they're Gnomil. Can't quite recall. Sorry, guys. They're doing something out in Cloud Ring. I don't know exactly what or why, but we saw some activity on Dotland. Headed on out, see if we could get a fight. Unfortunately, they brought out more dudes than we could fight. They realized this, and so they just said, okay, we can tell you're not going to fight us. Go on your way. And uh, that was pretty cool of them. So thanks, guys. That was pretty cool. Usually the default position is let's just camp them until they log off. And they're like, nah, these guys aren't fighting. Just get out of here. Exit, how about you? Uh, yeah, I just want to give a quick shout out to my Moose Army family. Um, thanks for everything you guys have done. And, of course, all of my test bros. Um, stuff is going to get pretty interesting pretty quick, so get uh, get ready. <laughs> oh yeah, and we're definitely talking about that later in the show as well. Holy shit, you've just got interesting. Um, anyway, uh, so we had a poll about what should the Northern War be called. It was just called This War, but now I have to specify because there's two ones going on. Um... The Northern War and the Bad Dragon War both got zero votes, which I'm happy about because the Bad Dragon War is one of the worst war names I have ever heard in my entire life. Um, 50% of the audience think it should be World War Wee! Which is uh, Yin's little pet name for it. I think it got a bad rap. I kind of like it too. Seems like the audience more or less agrees. I think uh, I think public opinion has swayed in the last week or so to Whale War One, which uh, was some yeah. blog post that I saw somewhere. And I can see that Whale War One. That, that's kind of right. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter anyway because it's over now. It was so short. The Fast and the Furious War. Never seen so many Titans die in such a short span of time that wasn't BTAC R and like the conflict is now over. Like, huh. Okay. So so that was a thing. 
for like a month. Anyway, Exit, uh, let's hear a little bit more about you before we go into the Alliance Tournament and Tess's latest shenanigans. All right. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you first get into EVE? What were you doing when you first spun up your account? Uh, so I first started EVE as a freshman college student. Um, I was scrolling through a list of Steam games and um, I, this one was just kind of on a uh, recommended list, and I uh, watched a little bit of a video of it and that kind of thing. And uh, biggest, um, I guess, review that I saw was that it had a huge learning curve. Um, so I kind of took this as a challenge, and so I started up the game and plexed the plexed the account and paid for a month and. I uh, found out a couple of friends of mine played, and um, ever since then, it's kind of been history. I started uh, in high-sec, doing some high-sec mining, quickly moved to low-sec to do a little bit of low-sec mining, died lots of times very quickly, and then found a small group of people um, that owned a little bit of land, not really owned, kind of rented a little bit of land out in Scolding Pass. We moved there, had learned some... Learn some, learn the ropes more or less about Eve. Try to get over that learning curve, and um, from there, that little corp moved to Provi Block, where we actually integrated into Provi Block, joining a corporation, one of the oldest corporations in the game, actually Imperial Dreams. Um, and from there, I became, I kind of aspired to be a, a coalition FC. and I've been aspiring to do that ever since. I became a coalition FC part of Provi. I moved to uh, GOTG in hopes of uh, FCing bigger fleets, you know, 200-man fleets, super caps and titans dropped and everything like that. And um, moved to uh, GOTG. Uh, didn't really like the environment there. Uh, Why not? Uh, personally, I don't really agree with Sword Dragon and some of his stuff. He's kind of a dick, in my opinion. Um but again, that's just my opinion. Um, and so my uh, corporation that I was a part of, Moose Army, um, or that I am a part of, Moose Army, we um, we uh, moved the alliance out into high sec to kind of regather. We lost a lot of members there. Um, of course, moving an entire alliance, some people stayed in GOTG, some people became renters and, and drone lands. Um, and then we, um, we contacted some friends and became part of TEST. Um, and honestly, I really, really enjoy the environment and test. Um, I think it's awesome. I have the opportunity to do everything that I want and I'm encouraged to do everything that I want. Um, it might take a little time, but uh, it's nothing that I'm not afraid of. That's awesome. How long have you been with them now? Uh, test, I guess. Oh, man. Uh, I think we've been with test for uh, about four months now, four or five months. But in that short time, you got onto their Alliance tournament team. Yeah, I did. Um, I was actually part of the AT practice team and probably block. Um, so we kind of, I just was kind of a, a shooting dummy to help practice some flying some of the smaller ships. And uh, I played in um, an even T tournament with them as well and kind of a small hosted tournament that Gentan run uh, about a year ago. Um, and I kind of liked the environment of that. And so once I joined Test, um, I didn't really think about joining the AT team until someone talked about it on comms. And 
they uh, they told me that I, they could use some more people, and so I I uh, sent in a app and I got accepted. I'm probably one of the newest bros on the block actually for their for the AT uh, AT squad. What is uh, Alliance tournament training like for Test? Because you know the the popular perception of Test is you know a, a horde of newbies, not terribly organized, terribly well organized. Uh, what is what is practice like for you guys? Do you do it all internal? Are you doing external? How often? Um, so the majority of practices was external on uh, Thunderdome once Thunderdome came up. Um, we uh, practiced with pretty much everyone that wanted to practice. Uh, we ran against loads of teams. I mean, we ran against Laser Hawks and um, Blades of Grass and loads of other people. Um, which was pretty awesome. We um, practiced for several hours on Saturdays and Sundays. We didn't really do too, too much during the week until it got closer to the actual AT. Um, and then we introduced kind of like Friday practices and weekday practices as uh, as needed. Um, the, the team captain um, recently did a podcast over... Uh, I don't know if you guys... Uh, listen to that at all but uh there he re- recently did a podcast of like how he um how i guess the at team from test changed from when he wasn't team captain to now that he is and from so far from what i see it's extremely structured uh, i can't really talk about what it was before then but now i believe it's extremely structured um loads of teamwork and collaboration and overall just an extremely healthy environment which um is just a, a awesome foundation for success yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've talked about it on the show a couple times, actually, just how impressive Test has been this year in terms of the tournament performance. Uh, I actually, you know, at one point I was like, man, these guys could make the finals. And obviously, it didn't work out that way, but uh, nah. you guys are looking really strong, i got to say. A, a big part of that was your fantastic logistics work. Um, we tried to have the uh, logistics frigates pilots for the Test team come on the show, but they, they couldn't make it. Could you talk a little bit about uh, those two pilots and talk about uh, if there is any kind of special training or special uh, theory crafting that went into maybe why this double frigate setup was so clutch for test and their wins? Yeah, so um, our two frigate pilots were uh, Dante and Scoots. Uh, those were the two Deacons that, that won us one of, the, one of our biggest matches um, in our entire AT history. Um, so the as far as um I guess special training, those guys have been flying uh Logi for a very, very, very long time, for several, several years from what I understood. Uh the kind of theory crafting behind the um the the comp that we flew was created it was more of a collaborative effort. We knew that uh AT or not AT um that free at Logi were extremely, extremely powerful. Um and the in certain scenarios, and we knew that the Ronin were uh, very, very good at uh, using the Frig Logi, and so we we expected to go into them uh, using using Frig Logi. Um, so awesome. Uh, so you know, obviously things didn't quite work out how you had hoped in terms of where you guys wound up. Um, what was it like in that last match? Describe sort of the thoughts, feelings going through your head when that played out. Uh, the last match was kind of heartbreaking, in my opinion. 
Um, Brave was did an extremely good job this year. They uh, they practice hard, definitely. Um, I was just in a, I was in a Punisher kind of playing a little tackle, a fast tackle, that kind of thing. And um, I honestly the mat <laughs> the match kind of zoomed by in my head. I was uh, running around listening to the, uh, listen to the FC, uh, basically kind of calling out targets that they needed scrammed down, that kind of thing. And um, it felt like it was only 30 seconds before I was like, oh, well, I'm the last one on, on, on grid. Um, the entire fleet is dead, pretty much, or the entire, my entire group is dead. And um, it just, it was, I was really upset about it. Um, but we did do a very good job. That was the farthest we've gotten, I believe, test has gotten in test history i could be wrong on that so um, i think that's right yeah i think uh, i think we made top 16 so we are really excited about that we can't we weren't we can't be too too upset about it we did really well um we got a lot of skins we got some plex and we have a for sure spot in for next year's at and so we're already uh striving to hopefully do better we need top eight top four next year um and just keep doing better yeah, I'll make a bold prediction now. I think if you guys have a whole year to prep and build on the success that you had now, as long as you don't, a caveat, as long as you don't lose your pilots or leadership like in a catastrophic way, uh, I could easily see you guys in top four. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, that's, what the, that's what the team captain um, was kind of talking about in his podcast. Uh, um, we, you can plug it. Year. It's fine. Do what? You can plug it. What's the what's the show? Where can people go listen to it? Oh, uh, I honestly don't remember what the <laughs> I honestly don't remember what the show's name was called. Uh, I just listened to it on SoundCloud uh, off of Reddit. I forget what the name was called. Um, but um, he kind of said that the this past uh, last year and this year kind of rebuilding and uh, a rebuilding a rebuilding year since he's just very very new to uh, captaining. And I think if we just keep keep uh, progressing and building how we are we're just going to keep getting better and better and if we're already top 16 on a rebuilding year then like you said uh, top four top A's very very easily within reach if like you said nothing catastrophic happens and we don't start dropping members and stuff so the meta was a bit wonky this year with all of the points changes and things and I know historically the quote-unquote top-tier teams have always been very strong on internal practices. Maybe they have a single very close practicing partner. We're seeing a lot of new and -and up-and-coming teams who are doing very well having just a wide variety of practice partners. Uh, One thing I noticed from reading AARs on Reddit from various team captains is that the old guard found themselves like they had theory crafting core, but some of them were surprised by the efficacy of the just full battlecruiser teams or full drone span teams or what have you. Whereas newer teams, like they saw some random group doing it, they thought, hmm, that's a good idea, let's try it out. And so that sort of gave them a bit of an advantage to do practicing with various teams through the test open practice, through your multiple scrim partners. Did you find that you were exposed to a lot of different ideas and were able to try things out? Or did you find it difficult lacking sort of consistency being able to hammer out, okay, let's put X versus Y and see what happens. Um, no, I would say that having the large practice player base was probably one of the fundamental reasons for our success. We would um, spend, for instance, two weeks just running the 6NBC comp, trying to face as many uh, and different 
practice partners and, and practice comps that they would bring to us to see how that comp in particular could be any other comp. And we did that with several, several comps so that even if we fought something that we didn't exactly want, uh, given the, given the ban procedure, if they kind of just surprise us with something, we would still have an idea of how to beat it. I think that having the large practice base is very, very, um, very, very good for uh, success. Um, that being said, getting into a later, a later game that we haven't reached yet, like the top eight, top four area, having a little bit of more of a closed practice partner, I could foresee being um, a good thing, maybe to not show our hand to the world, kind of a thing. So well, speaking of the the end game of the tournament, we had uh, Hydra Reloaded, Laser Hawks, and Vydra make top three. Laser Hawks being, I think, the most surprising team this year, and we all are probably familiar with them on TQ as pretty good PvPers. But as far as tournament performance, you know, they're fairly unknown. Uh, very surprising turn that things looked like they were going to take, uh, as Laser Hawks and Hydra both went with like a ECM-based setups. What did you, I mean, as someone who had participated in the theory crafting, what did you guys think of how the meta played out with, you know, the ECM teams sort of taking center stage early and then the finals matches being just Battlecruiser throwdowns for the most part? So uh, our particular uh, AT team had seen the uh, Rook comp before and some of these scrim practices that we had. And to be honest, I don't think we ever found a way to properly counter it. We kind of just were like, well, if we fight this, we're kind of screwed. Um, that Rook comp was extremely, extremely hard to counter. And we couldn't, with the, with the comps that we had in play, we, we really couldn't think of an uh, idea on how to um, properly dismantle it uh, consistently. Sometimes we can get lucky, of course, because RNGesus, but... Other than that, there is nothing that we consistently came up with that could beat it. Um, the fact that, I mean, I, I, I definitely foresaw those comps coming out and being some of the end game comps, um, even though they might have, it wasn't the the uh, the finale comp or anything like that. Um, I think it had a had a critical role in those teams that uh, fielded it in success for sure. Yeah, we saw it as well from MC's perspective with uh, a couple of different scrim partners and various they had their own little spin on it and coming into the rule set like when the rules first came out and I saw that recons were 12 points I thought that this year's meta before I had put anything to paper pulled out my spreadsheet saw how much points were going to be and how screwed over battleships were I thought it was going to be battleships supported by recons and that was going to be the meta uh, because recons were just so cheap and they're very, very powerful, especially in a tournament environment with the small arena. I thought it was going to be recons all the way down for this particular tournament. So I wasn't particularly surprised to see Rooks be especially powerful. Um, one reason that MC in particular didn't do it is one, we just hate ECM. We don't, <laughs> we don't like flying anything with RNG. It's like we'd rather have something which is either it's our fault we won, or it's our fault we lost. It's not a matter of, well, RNGesus wasn't on our side today. But also, um, drone spam was a concern. Like, when we ran up against uh, Rook comps or ECM comps in general, 
we could fly various versions of drone spam comps and the assist mechanics and the fact that drones don't care whether you have their targets locked or not would generically allow you to have a chance at winning the match. It depends on how the ECM comp was set up and how they uh, flew the ships. But that was our way of dealing with it. And so based on that, we just sort of, eh, we don't like ECM anyway, we won't bother making a comp like this. Yeah, the drone spam was a very um, viable option for the ECM for the ECM war. Um, as you said, drones don't really care about ECM, but we found that we just found that drones AI were very, was very very finicky and would stop aggressing uh, the target that we wanted, even if we were like, especially when we were assisting. If we were assisting oh, yeah. to a drone bunny or something like that, the AI is goes just is just awful. And well, if you can't, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, and if you can't lock your target to continuously hit, uh, press F so that the, the drones keep attacking them. Like we just found that DP, a DPS wasn't being applied properly, and the t- and then the travel time um, from the drones from target to target we just found was was just awful. Especially having no no logic in those in those drone spend comps, you know, they would just be able to take us out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. One thing we noticed uh, when we were preparing for a match versus Bright Side of Death is in one of their matches they fit like one to two ECM bursts on every single ship. And so the next practice we got all our ships out and we said, okay, I fit an ECM burst to a Valgorn and I said, guys, undock drone strips and shoot at me. And every single time that ECM burst cycled, like half of everybody's drones would just drop off because the drones would get jammed by the ECM burst. And so that was another thing that we looked into because we knew that uh, Bright Side of Death was going to be flying a drone spam comp. We considered, okay, do we fit ECM bursts just to make half their drones fall off every time? Uh, mm-hmm. TSBs do the same thing, although they're limited. You have to fit them for battleships and things because every single one of the drones that has you locked counts as a target lock for the TSB. And so TSBs work. The more targets that have you locked, the greater the jam strength of the module when you use it. But that was also like one of the things that you could do to counter drone spam with jams. But apart from that, the, the assist mechanic, if the AI actually worked properly, just generically was useful. And uh, finally, to round out our Alliance tournament coverage, Vydra does take the win with Drake's. <laughs> <laughs> and probably the single weirdest non uh, like uh, non collusion based finals I've ever seen. Uh, two Navy Drakes, two Drake, two Gilas, two Brutix, two Vexers is the winning comp. Not only Drakes, but Navy Drakes, and they brought it twice. Yeah, it was uh, that was extremely surprising in my end. I definitely was expecting. Um... Some... Although they brought it twice and won both times they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the the morale Drake is definitely going to be a part of my uh, my fleets from now on, that's for sure. It has to be good, right? Oh, man. It's the it was... Alliance Tournament Championship. Yep, exactly. I I was definitely not expecting that um that fleet that fleet setup uh, going into the finals. Uh, just watching it. Uh, I was expecting some AT AT ship spam from both sides. Um but, uh, but yeah. I mean, I'm, yeah. I, I gotta give a lot of respect to Vydra just for the, the guts. I feel like it was a huge risk to take that comp just because the Drakes have such a bad rep. They're hardly ever used in the Alliance tournament at all. And to go into the deciding match 
with this comp. I mean, admittedly, you played it a few matches before and it won, but still, like, to not go on something more tried and true or more more based on the meta or, like you said, something really blingy, like throwing a lot of Alliance tournament chips at it or something like that, to instead go for something out of the box and not in an obvious, like, oh, man, that's amazing kind of way, but they still pulled it out against a comp that had two Navy Harbingers and two Harbingers, too, which are, like, the best anti-Drake uh, ships you can possibly get uh, at a Battlecruiser size. And they still pulled it out, so... Yeah, I guess... I mean, I, they're definitely deserving champions. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I guess that shows how good of good pilots that they really are um, to be able to pull it off that, that well. Yeah. Deserving wins. Uh, well, that'll be it for the Alliance Tournament for this year. Um, very much looking forward to the next one. It's one of my favorite events of the year. Um, it's like this and Theomaki, like the best things in EVE, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can bet when it comes around again, you'll have all the coverage that you get right here on Declarations of War. But now into what's been going on in EVE proper outside the tournament. Uh, we've had the Northern War going on, uh, for lack of a better name. World War Re, perhaps. Whale War One, I, I think, is what the community will eventually settle on. Uh, Whale War One is basically over, which, you know, the goons kind of said it would only last a month. I think we were all kind of hoping that was just propaganda, but apparently it's not. Uh, they, the fortunes of war had sort of turned against them anyway. Uh, they opened up really strongly with initiative catching uh, some NC.Titans on a move op. But aside from that opening salvo, they hadn't really been able to claim any significant victories. Um, you know, their their staging structures kept getting hit. Um, they were engaged in some really good slugfests, but always coming out just on the short end of them. And not by much, but still. Uh, so that's pretty much over. And t for Test's part, the alliance that kicked off everything, and now they're involved in a second war on the other end of the world. Uh, Static, do you do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess that we'll start with the Northern War first, Test's deployment and their, their motivations, how that campaign went for you, how it's being talked about internally? Uh, yeah, so we, Progrod pinged uh, that we were going to be going to war. And we didn't really know what, what was going on. Um, we didn't really know who we were going to war with. We didn't know who we were going to war with until we started gating capitals all the way halfway across the world. Um, and once we landed in MTO, we obviously knew we were going to hit uh, GOTG, PL, etc., etc., the northern guys. Um as far as the war is concerned, we, we knew going in, Progrod told us going in, that it was only going to last a maximum of five weeks. That's as long as he wanted to stay up there for. Um, uh, we did not, however, expect goons to come up there with us. Um, that, was, that, was, that was kind of a, a, a monkey or a wrench in the, in the machine there. Um, and once they came, that was kind of, as he put today, kind of, it kind of unified the North and and made it that much harder for us to complete the objectives that we were trying to complete and, and kind of solve war objectives and, and toasting them, their stuff. 
Um, and there towards the end of our deployment, or kind of made our deployment a little short, about a week shorter than I guess we anticipated it, was uh, GigX and CO2 starting all of their um, all of their shenanigans down in the south, which put test in general in a very diplomatic bind from some different, um, I guess, um, alliances that we made going into the north, which ProGod talked a lot about today. Yeah, so let's let's get into that. This is uh well, there's no simple way to put it. It's a really complicated situation. Um in order to deploy to MTO, you guys entered into an agreement with the DRF, uh specifically XDeath and Solar, that you know they would let you do it if you guys would back them up if try attack them, correct? From what I understand, yes. And Circle 2, while all this was going on, is having some kind of ongoing dispute with Solar um, involving a station that they feel they should have owned but Solar really wanted to keep control of, uh, and there were various agreements going back and forth, which Test essentially had to co-sign because of Circle of Two's betrayal of the Imperium during World War B. Uh, Solar didn't trust their word, understandable. Uh, and Test had to basically, you know, vouch for them, be like, yeah, you know, these guys are fine, we'll, you know, we'll back them on their behalf. Correct. Uh, Try then does attack, and Circle of Two also attacks. And now you're in a weird position where Test needs to fight Try to uphold their agreement with Solar, but because Circle 2 is basically fighting on Try's side for all intents and purposes, they're going back on their agreement with you about attacking Solar and not attacking Try and are not taking any diplomatic outs. They're basically saying, well, I think they're literally saying, fuck you, you know, this, even if it costs us our space and our alliance, we're going to go attack and get revenge. Yeah, that's pretty much how uh, how it uh, how it went down. I think the biggest thing was, um, from what I've heard recently, is that Gigex wanted Faith Abolus for renter space for a very long time, and more or less waited for us Tess to not stand in their way or not be in a position to say no when we moved up north to uh, to start things. Um, and now that we, they basically put us in a rock and a hard place, right? But we've made our decision on what's going to happen. Well, we've made our decision based off of what GigX has told us on what, uh, on what we're going to do now. So. And what is that? Um, so from what ProGod said today, um, very openly streamed it. He, um, uh, he, they, they told they told, uh, or they asked Gigex like this: is, "Are you really wanting to do this?" Gigex said, "Yes, we're not standing. Ba- we're not standing down." Um, and they said, "Well, you do understand that impasse is part of legacy, legacy land." And he said, "Yes, I do understand that." And I guess he's under assumption that just because it's part of legacy's, uh, legacy's, I guess, crop, that they would let him let him keep it, but. I mean, if it's part of Legacy land, then Legacy should own it. And so 
I'm guessing the intention eventually will be to kick out CO2 from impasse. Um, now, when that happens, I'm not sure. Um, we haven't really said anything about that. Or they, no one from higher command has said anything about that. I think our sole goal at the moment is to start uh, honoring our agreement and uh, start attacking Triumvirate. Whew. Yeah, uh, and then there's a whole other element to this, which is uh, try attacking the Drone Phoenix Federation, which is FCON's crew, mm-hmm. and the <laughs> FCON essentially merging their coalition with the DRF, which is what brought the DRF into the war. I should have clarified that. That's a whole other layer of this. Uh, so try has been attacking FCON. We talked about that in the previous show. FCON has then joined, along with their entire coalition, the DRF, now forming the Drone Phoenix Federation, which is what brought the DRF into the war with Tri, which kicked off everything. So there's a new super coalition in town. Uh, they ex- they basically control the entire uh, south and uh, south, southwest and west, uh, uh, except for the east. Yes, excuse me, east, east. The east, the south, and the southeast, except for a couple patches where Tri or some various independent alliances hold, and of course CVA and Legacy Coalition. But uh, it's it's pretty big, pretty big blue blob. Uh, as big as we've seen since World War B, certainly. Yeah, but what I'm interested in is you've got Test, who are both semi-allied with goons, and definitely allied with XIX, DRF, at least for this particular conflict. So the question then becomes, is there some sort of agreement between the Imperium and Goon Swarm, Red Swarm Federation, and the DRF, or if something happens between those two, and Goons and DRF go to war, what does Tess do then? That, yeah, that would, would be, be a, interesting. <laughs> Tess would be in a very bad position if we have two wars on either side of us. As far as I know, Tess and uh, MPR haven't made any deals, but of course I'm not in high command, so I can't really speak too much about that, you know? I mean, you went to war together, so like, there's got to be something there. But uh, I wouldn't say together. I, we, like I said, we, we, we didn't know goons were coming up. They followed us up here uh, without really telling us so, uh, fair enough. Well, that you know that they didn't tell you about. <laughs> I mean, it, it could very well possibly have been, uh, if not a deal initially, a deal after the fact. Oh yeah, like something in the background going on that yeah, is yeah. just not public. I, I mean, definitely. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just, I'm, I'm just speculating. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it was actually because yeah, you both I, sort of had a common objective up there. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of what is public and what is not, a, a very public part of what seems like every war nowadays is the Reddit propaganda and narrative war. <laughs> and at the moment, to my surprise, Reddit, or pardon me, Tess seems to be losing the Reddit narrative war. Yeah, we've been, uh, we've been kind of instructed to calm, calm down on the, on the Reddit memes and propaganda, especially since our tragic loss of Symic. Um, but, oh, uh, rip. <laughs> yeah. But, Who did he uh, go to again? Uh, try. He went to try. He was trying. Ah. 
Oh, that's a crushing blow. For those of you who don't follow Reddit, Simek is one of the most celebrated uh, propaganda creators. He's a talented artist. Does like almost like editorial cartoon style. Yeah, I appreciate with, does it with uh, paint too, which is extremely impressive. Does he? Oh, wow. wow, that's amazing. I could be wrong, but I'm I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. That's damn good for MS Paint. Holy shit! Like even without the propaganda artist, I'm surprised Dreddit being a core member of test therefore test being sort of a reddit central alliance if you will backing off of the reddit propaganda at least on the narrative front foregoing propaganda i could understand but not pushing their agenda in the comments with their presumably high numbers it's quite surprising yeah yeah the like i said like we're pro god kind of urged us to kind of calm down on the reddit posting and shit talking going on but uh i would say like a lot of the line members including myself not necessarily knowing what what is going on uh to its fullest extent until very recently today when proga kind of explained what was happening with everything so i would not be surprised to see more of the test bros start um starting up the uh the reddit trains again I mean, you can't fight a war with one hand tied behind your back, and your weaponized shitposting is a huge strategic asset. Always, always. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's it's super interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like it seems like DRF or uh, DRF and Phoenix are pretty much done with Try. They would like to get Try out of there. They massively outnumber them. However, Try is making gains as far as we can tell. Um, it seems like they're both attacking and being attacked, but they are winning systems. DRF, as of yet, is not, as far as I know. Um, how this whole circle of two thing is going to play in, like, do, does Test plan on, on kicking Circle first? And then going after try, or do you guys have to go after try first and then double back, or do you have to do both at once? Like, how does that, um, how does that order look? Speaking, uh, I guess there ha- I I haven't been, or the alliance hasn't been informed of a decision on which is going first. I guess. Um, I mean, obviously, if uh, CO two is in legacy space, they will have to eventually leave, um, or be forced to leave. That being said, we do have. Um, we do have alliance uh, tie, or we do have some uh, diplomatic things going on with Tri that we said that we would handle. Um, so, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, um, kicking out uh, CO two would probably be the the should be the first objective, in my opinion, just because they're a little bit closer to home, um, and if they wanted to move their super cap umbrella closer to us, it'd be very easy for them to do, especially with them already um, starting on Faith of Wallace and things like that. That's my personal opinion, but like I said, there's nothing been really announced, so it's hard for me to make an educated statement on that. Sure. So while all this is going on, uh, shortly before it kicked off, there was some water cooler talk about Stainwagon sort of rallying the troops. I think they somebody launched good sacks launched a keep star somewhere. <laughs> Was it Test or CO two that went to go and reinforce that and it's now in its final timer? 
Oh, we 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 re- re- reinforced the shit out of that thing twice now. Yeah. So is that is this is this new war opening up between you and CO two and trying everything? Is that going to make it more difficult to do with Stain, or is Stain just like such a shell of their former selves? You'll be able to do it no problem, even while you've got another war on a completely separate front, or are you just sort of pushing it off on the back burner, if you will? So Stain has always been kind of like a, a thorn in the side kind of a thing, but as you, I mean, ever since they've been evicted from Esso and everything like that, they've kind of uh, fallen from their former potential glory, I guess. Um, but they they they're a very consistent group. I can speak personally from that because they like to camp the pipe that I read in with frequency. They always have two or three uh, cloaky hounds in there ready to drop panthers and stuff. Um, but um, but honestly, I don't really, I don't really see them to be that much, that big of a threat as they've kind of, I mean, good sex, I'm pretty sure left, um, the Russian coalition, um, recently. I think that's hmm. right. Yeah. I think I saw that already. Come the end of this final time, we're almost certainly going to see the death of the second online Keepstar. Um, I think that this be your would be prediction? like the sixth, but yeah. Well, not the anchored, but actually online and defended. Right, because well, there's a CO2 one that was online. Am I missing one? I think all the rest ones. What about the uh, one in the wormhole? Wasn't that online? Ooh, I think that I it may was. have to restrict myself to K space. Yeah, the um, who was it? The it wasn't the inner hell control. Thing. Inner hell, yeah, yeah, that was definitely an online keep star. So it would be the third then. Yeah, I guess the other ones have been anchoring. But yeah, I, um, I, I mean, I'm expecting it to be a kind of a, a nice brawl. Several pe- entities are probably going to be coming just to get on the Keepstar kill. You know, 300 billion-esque is nothing to shy about or nothing to laugh about. Um, but I definitely expect it to die. Uh, I think it comes out in three more days, I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah, that'll be a, a who's who in the South and probably a lot of other regions too. People coming in just a third party. Oh, yeah. Uh, finally, real quick, guys, the CSM Summit is going on. We've seen pictures on Reddit and Twitter of things that have been happening. We will have Yin back hopefully next podcast to talk about it. Likely we will not get the minutes for this in time for the next podcast. Even if they're released, I don't think we'll have time to all read them. But um, certainly... If not the next show, the one after that will have a full breakdown of the CSM Summit minutes. And it's very interesting because there's not really a huge crisis right now. The the crisis of uh, the the recent fighter nerf and the shitstorm that that kicked off has pretty much went right to the background. I don't know if anyone's noticed this, but uh, the the patch that didn't really patch anything and the fact that they were creating a... uh, uh, well, the, they rolled back some of the fighter changes. They made a patch that didn't actually patch that much about Citadels, and they put a team together to eventually look at them more long-term. Didn't really address anyone's core criticisms, I don't think, um, but because suddenly people are fighting wars, now no one cares. <laughs> uh, we'll see what the deal is with that. Hopefully we'll get some information... Structurally, about what this new team is doing or planning to do, or at least the scope of their mission. I think, I hope we will get more uh, information about what past action steps are going to be happening with Citadels and Sal. Uh, 
Um, Artemis, what's your what's your hope from the summit? What are you looking to learn? I am really looking to get some more details on what comes after Winter Patch. We've got a bunch of stuff that we know is coming for Winter Release. And if we look back to what Siegel set out when she first took over running sort of EVE Online and everything, she laid out this big old long-term roadmap, and it seems like we're coming pretty close to the end. I'm looking to see what's happening with pauses in the short to medium term, and sort of what's the next structure, if you will, on the chopping block that CCP wants to work on phasing out from pauses and throwing into citadels, and then also... Oh, they're done, bro. Say what? Pauses are done. Winter patches are going away. They're going away. How did I miss that? Yeah, we're finally seeing the end of pauses in the winter patch. They're they're gone. Have they announced the reimbursement or anything yet? No. Like how they're going to handle... Okay. No, I haven't, I haven't done the details. They just I said that it's happening. Then. I miss them saying it's happening. Once refineries come out, that's the last piece. There's nothing else that passes do that uh, Citadels won't be able to do. Like, really well. So the moon mining refineries and... Um, well, the refineries they can already do, but having the moon mining go into the refinery structure and have reactions go into the refinery structure will pretty much be the end of it. I guess I'm looking towards player-made Stargates then. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, because they'll have to find some way to um, get re replace jump beacons and such, right? Well, yeah, that is one thing that pastas can do that they're not going to be able to do. I wonder how that's going to be handled. I haven't really seen it talked about, actually, the signer generators and signer jammers. Does it even really matter when you've got... Well, I guess you got to be able to bridge, right? That's the bit that's missing, because citadels, you can light a safe sino anywhere, right? So... Well, it's the the doing it without having a person around is the the main yeah, thing. So you could just do it at any time without having to arrange another character or another player. But the the jammers, I think, will be the main thing. I think the easiest thing is they'll probably just stick it into the hub or the TCU, probably the hub. That's my guess, anyway. How about you, Exit? What are you looking forward to? Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to the moon changes. There's going to be, I think, that right there um, is going to create some huge, huge wakes in E. If you think the the South is going to war is a big deal, just wait until the new algorithm hits and Delve isn't worth anything anymore, and Goonswarm moves all the way back to the North to reclaim the homeland because it's the most, it's the most um, rich in moon minerals. Like it's, it's going to be crazy. So, within MC, there's been a lot of talk about the moon changes and how, like, they're just going to be worthless to us now because we don't have a big group of miners and roracles to go and do it. I know Goonswarm does have that. How about Tess? Like, do you guys, do you have the Care Bear, if you will, manpower to be able to take full advantage of any R64s that you may hold post-patch? Uh, oh, yeah, there they're, <laughs> they're are definitely enough, uh, enough roracles to do that. No problem. Um... It's just the it's just questionable questionable on how test uh, high command is going to actually deal with the moons because currently it's kind of an auction system. Um, they sell off all the moons to corporations um, like on a monthly rent type basis, and those corporations mine the moons and do whatever the hell they want with them. Um, but as soon as these moon moon changes happens, I expect that the uh, quantity of mineable moons is going to go down. Um, to a very, very low amount, to probably like 50 or so. 
So, I mean, if you try to auction those moons off to to uh, corporations, it's going to be it's going to be a bit harder to do that and to do it in that kind of system. Um, or maybe test my test high command might just keep and do like a, a CTA monthly mining op kind of a thing to go get all the R sixty four stuff. Like who, who knows how they're going to handle it? So it'll be interesting for a lot of large alliances because not only will it require more manpower on mining. Also require more coordination. You're gonna have all these different moons, even if it is fifty, they all have to be mined manually, like all fifty. There's no more passive. So you gotta have somebody cracking the thing open, you gotta have an operator to go when it breaks up when it breaks apart, you gotta mine all the shit out and you gotta move on to the next one. Presumably it's gonna take a while. Yeah, definitely. You can see some you're probably gonna see some huge market fluctuations and some very large um War. I mean, I, I definitely expect some some new like moon wars probably coming, uh, coming very very soon once the uh, once the changes happen. Quite possibly. I think uh, the market right disruption is guaranteed because everyone that's got moons now isn't going to have moons anymore, and it's going to be some time before people can get refineries up and figure out the best way to mine them all. So, I mean, <laughs> tech two. Is gonna is gonna balloon in price. I uh, I'm not looking forward to it in the sense that I use a lot of Tech Two ships in my doctrines, so that's gonna be bad. I have to switch to T1 cruiser room for a little while. Battle cruisers, man. Battle cruisers are where it's at. They're so cheap with insurance. It's insane. All right. Host highlights. Oh, uh, and by the way, we do have a dramatic reading coming up in the show, so if you're still listening, please continue. Um, I tried a deacon for the first time at the breakfast club. I was originally just going to bring a guardian, but then I realized I didn't really have a cap partner, and it was kind of slow. They were all in mostly shield ships, but they did have one or two close-range armor scram ships, so I brought the deacon out, and it was the first time I'd ever flown it in combat. I was really... Mostly just looking to get a little more experience in it, because they're pretty cool ships. I've seen a lot of people fly them. I have them in my doctrines, because I know they're really strong. Did I just say haven't you were been inspired in it. by the Alliance tournament? <laughs> uh, no, I was a big fan of the logistics frigates. Um, honestly, since like Fintaru and stuff, I've been putting videos of them on YouTube, of like how strong they are in small groups. Mm. And that, that sold it for me. They're so cheap. They're so powerful. Um... They're relatively survivable in TQ, um, and I don't know, it's, I'm just a big fan. Um, I kind of like them more than logistics cruisers, although obviously at some point you, you need the cruisers. Like If you're dealing with battleships or heavily tanked battle cruisers, it just makes more sense to have the, uh, the cruisers with you. But if you're doing lightly tanked battle cruisers, cruisers or lower, shit, man. You can't ask for a better logistics platform. They're really strong. Anyway, uh, my first time actually sitting in the seat, flying it around. Super fun. Enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it was a heavily tanked passive afterburner with triple rep. And uh, I kept a scythe fleet issue that uh, got caught a couple times alive against some pretty impressive damage. Felt good about that. I eventually did die... I was trying to warp back to the fight to save someone that had been caught by an Orthrus. He died just before I landed. And as soon as I landed, I got pointed by a Tristan 
who had, uh, he was like 23 off me. I was trying to work out. He locked me up, pointed me, of course, and then the orthros came on as well, so there was no chance I was getting out. Uh, I eventually just kind of went down. Oh, it took them a damn long while, I will say that. Thank you, little some bitch. <laughs> Artemis? Yeah, my uh, my host highlight comes from the tail end, sort of. I guess it was kind of like smack in the middle of it, of the uh, the Northern War, the Whale War One. Uh, it was one of the nights which goons had dropped another staging for Desire that they were trying to online, and it was also at the point where all of their Astra houses were coming out of their week long anchor time all throughout tribute. We had three of them within the Mercenary Coalition pocket, and then a bunch of them spread throughout, like, NCPL space. And um, basically, Mercenary Coalition, we had formed up, and one of the great things about our alliance is we've got a lot of, like, good FCs. And so we were able to split our fleet. I think we had five consecutive fleets happening at the same time, like four bomber squadrons, one cap squad and one uh, Cerberus squad there to support the caps and like force off anything that comes on and tries to hold them down. And basically the game plan was for the Astrahasses, which were coming out in NCPL space, who were off shooting the Fortazar and Akonan, we'd take bombers out, we'd go and kill those off, and then for our own pocket, which we had Sino jammed and we had directors online to turn them off if we needed it, uh, then we would hit those with a single dread plenty to hit the damage cap and just deal with it, and uh, if any tackle came in, we'd force it off with the Serbs, of course, bring the rest of our bomber fleets back, reship them, and take the fight. Well, turned out that's exactly what happened. Um, Gooms formed up a load of Jackdaws, like 150-man, ja 140-man Jackdaw fleet. It was only about 50 Jackdaws, they just had a bunch of random crap with them, and they came into our pocket. Um, I had 10 Serbs. And so basically, we knew which dread, we we're fairly certain which dread they were going for, because they only had a scout in a single system with one of our dreads. So I got Auroracle onto grid with the dread. And the interesting thing about Auroracle is, with its uh, industrial module going, it has bonuses to its rep output. And more importantly, its rep range. So it can rep with capital reps really effectively out like a hundred and some kilometers. So I felt completely fine taking my 10 serves with no cruiser logic, but just this one Roracle on field versus 150 Jackdaws, because I know we can tank the Jackdaws, and I can run around and kite their tackle, kill off their tackle, whatever I need to do. So that's what we do, uh, and basically what I have my dreads do is I have the dread on that particular tower go out of siege and line out. As soon as the Jackdaws land on grid, he warps off, I take my Cerberuses in there, and we start killing off random support from the Jackdaw fleet. Uh, I'm currently, I'm constantly aligning my Cerberuses to warp out points, saying, okay guys, this is where you go if you start getting shot, we're going to haze tackle, because at this point, I don't know, I'm not super confident we can tank 150 of them. Um, and eventually, uh, they tackle the Roracle, they force our Cerberuses off, we couldn't tank them well enough, and... In the meantime, we had Celine coordinating with NCPL and everybody else, Pandemic Core, GOTG, who were shooting in a Coden. The Fortazar was basically dead. And I said, okay, drop the Sino Jammer, and we'll just jump in a couple of Titans and bows on that Jackdaw fleet for you. And so that's what we did. We dropped the Sino Jammer, we lit a Sino, and the Jackdaw fleet ran away from the Bozon. I think half of them died to it. And then they tackled the Titans, and Goons thought, hmm, there are a couple of Titans and a random system out in Tribute. All the rest of NCPL is shooting our Fortazar. Let's form up a big old Typhoon fleet to try and kill these Titans. 
And so Good Swarm jumps at a bunch of typhoons to try and shoot the titans that they have tackled by a jacked off fleet. And things go from there. NCPL comes in with more super carriers and faxes and everything. No capitals die. Bunch of typhoons die. At this point, all of our bombers had finished killing their astro houses. So we come back, we reform a proper uh, Ferox fleet. And rather than sitting on field and shooting typhoons and jackdaws and whatever, we head out to the end of the pocket. We set up a bunch of bubbles there and we just camp it. So goons have a choice. They can either sit in the system with a bunch of titans and supers and die to those, or they can go piecemeal back to our bubbles and die to our feroxes. And goons hated us so much, like, okay, forget it, we're just going to sit here and die to all these supers and titans. And so we got a few straggler pods and things like that, but all in all, we ensured that 50 bill worth of typhoons died. <laughs> nice. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Exit, what's your highlight? Um, so my highlight was it happened about a week ago. Uh, like I told you guys earlier, Stainwagon's kind of been a thorn in our side. They've been dropping some Rotaru's down um, the pipe that's closest to Stain. And we've been bashing them and killing them. Um, one happened to anchor online, and so we went to go kill it on the final timer. The um, They started to bait us with um, some dreads there, undocking dreads. And we just had a small hurricane fleet out. And once that happened, they formed Macarials and Titan Bridge Macarials in. And so our hurricane started flying Macarials, or fighting Macarials. And we were hemorrhaging hurricanes left and right. And while we were, tell- we were just pinging everybody to start logging on caps. We were, we were rage pinging every- everyone on-, on test to log in caps, log in supers, log in everything you had, start getting in fleets. We went ahead and uh, made a quick uh, backup fleet jumped it into uh, a system, a couple systems away, uh, DTX, I think, and then uh, met the Macarial fleet uh, to um, to the outgate that they were trying to leave back to Stain. Um, here, the they kind of got away from us, went back into Stain, um, but they had a Titan on a Rotaru, so we tried to bump the Titan off by... Um, Sinoing in 15 uh, minnows at zero onto the Titan um, to basically try to just, uh, bump the Titan off as, as, far, as far as we could. Um, unfortunately, we kind of made like a little minnow corral for this Titan. The, time, the Titan was just bumping around inside these like 15 minnows, not going anywhere. And it was able to safe log off the Rotaru. So from there, we kind of uh, warped the, just warped the, um, the minnows back into our our uh, Esoteria system, uh, VYJ, and one accidentally got caught by these Macarials uh, from, a, uh, from a saber, like some pool bubble or something. Um, luckily, it was a self-ripped, one of our self-ripped fits, and so uh, it was able to tank everything pretty fine, and we baited it until, they, until he uh, exited triage. We baited him back into our home system of VYJ, these, this fleet, and from there, we started escalating. The Macario fleet came in. We jumped in, I think, uh, another hurricane fleet with a couple of Feroxes and like one or two carriers. And once they saw our carriers jump in, they escalated to dreads. They dropped 10 or 15 dreads, I believe. Once they dropped the dreads, we dropped more dreads on them. And then an uh, unsuspecting person came in, uh, Red Alliance came in and was fighting on the side of Sandwagon. They dropped, I think, 30 or 35 dreads on top of our smaller dread bomb of only 10 or so, 10 or 15, with our 10 or so carriers. Uh, 
from there, we already had Titans and Supers logged in. And so we just warped a Sino in about 80 off the Dread Fleet and logged everything in. And from there, we just obliterated their entire Dread Cache that they had in Stain. Um, I think the total loss on Stain's side was about 90 billion, while ours was about 42. Um, so we kind of lost a little bit more than I had hoped, but it was an awesome fight. I got to drop my super and my facts in PvP for the first time. And it was just, it was just awesome. Titan Doomsday's going off everywhere and Super's just blapping dreads left and right. It was crazy. That's wild. Alright, guys. Well, thanks to the magic of Reddit and Pastebin, we have a conversation here between CO2's leader Gigax and a test diplomat, Dran Arcana, which captures, appears to be the moment that, uh, <laughs> That test attempted to, possibly the last moment, I don't even know, uh, attempted to salvage the situation down south and give Gigax a way to back away from a full-on war with Drone Phoenix and because of their agreements with Test and throw their status and legacy coalition into the dustbin. Uh, my apologies in advance to Gigax because I am not going to get his accent correct. It's probably just going to be a generic Serbian-Slavic-Russian mashup, but I'm going to try. Uh, X, do you know Dran? Does he have any particular way of talking? Because otherwise it's just going to be Artemis taking his best guess. Uh, yeah, Dran is kind of a goofy guy. Um, he kind of has... Uh, I wouldn't say. He, has a, he doesn't have a deep voice or anything. It's kind of just, uh, I guess, normal. Um, do do like, you want to play him? Because if we could do that. Oh, God, that is no way. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like well, we definitely need to, to try that. I'll leave it to the professionals. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he, he's kind of quirky sometimes. So. Okay, okay. Artemis, you think you, you think you got something for this? Quirky, not quite a deep voice. Um, sure, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Okay, this is a private conversation between Dran and Gigax about the diplomatic situation in the South. And we begin with Dran. Are you around? We really need to talk. I can save you guys from the DRF, but you need—you guys have to shoot, try, and stop your aggression against Solar. Judge is busy and can't really deal with this right now. Did they ask you to save me from DRF? Maybe you should start looking for your memory. When we came here, we agreed we would participate against Solar. Both alliances will have two regions... One for themselves, one for renting. Now you're changing again and again deals. I'm not going to shoot try. I'm going to stop aggression. I'm not going to stop aggression against Solar. And next time, if someone from Test wants to talk with me directly, that can be Sapporo. Because he is alliance leader like me, not some dick sucker. Judge and I agreed to shoot Solar if they broke the deal. They didn't. You did. Fuck off. Read what I told you above. I will relay the Sapporo as requested. May I share this with him this conversation? You can even post it on Reddit. Don't give a shit. I really don't want to get in a Reddit pissing match with CO2. It really won't paint you guys in a good light with how many agreements you guys have broken. You guys are our allies, and I'm trying to help you guys from getting evicted. Even if Tess stays out of the fights, you guys might lose anyway. You guys knew that we were supposed to shoot Try if they attacked FCON, and you guys even gave us permission to stay out of the solar conflict if you broke the deal. 
Is that some new bullshit? New deal that you made without saying anything? I won't share any logs, but feel free to ask Judge about it, man. A few days before you blew try, he and I talked about our deal with XIX. He knew whether or not he told you. Ah, uh, like you told us about deal with goons, deal with XIX. And as far as not shooting solar, scroll up. And this, it's in this channel. And I quote, test is not okay with that. PL and goons will jump on this chance. We, are we allies? Test does not want to fight another war right now. And you have the power to make that happen. Then don't get involved. That's it. You guys are safe? I will be safe when I clear Russian shit around me. I don't want to abandon you as an ally, but we do not have the resources to fight both Goon slash PL and Tri slash XIX and support you. You're really putting me in a difficult position. You're our allies, so I'm not going to try and tell you what to do. All I can do is try and convince you why I think this is a bad decision and tell you that Test cannot support you in this. And to be clear, if you hit wings, you will be fighting Tri, XIX, Vanguard, FCON, and Phoenix Federation. And you'll be doing that on your own. Like, you can't tell us that we don't have to shoot solar and then get mad when we don't shoot solar. And you can't tell me that you didn't know about our deal with XIX because Judge and I talked about it. I told him what would happen if you threw in with Tri. You are just a coward. Whatever I am, I'm a man of my word. Smart, dumb, good, bad. I said I was going to do something, and so I'm obligated to do it. Test is not willing to throw away agreements in our, in our integrity for a tactical advantage on the battlefield. Maybe you can sell all that shit to Sapporo, PGL, and Villy. I don't want to sell anything. I want to save my allies from putting me in this position where I can't help them. I've been trying for weeks to get in a position where I can save you guys. I can finally do that. All you have to do is honor your agreement with Solar and stop fighting DRF. And throw in with us against Try. I give enough time to UX Death to think about this. He never responded after that. Maybe Try is bad, but they are not cowards. You guys have plenty of avenues to talk to XIX. There are plenty of people that can make deals on UAX's behalf. I've offered those avenues to judge, even offered myself as a middleman to broker terms again. But if you guys are just going to are gonna just spit in the face of deals that Test had to stand behind to get signed in the first place, I can't stand behind you. You understand that, right? I'm trying to understand what you're planning to do here. You giving me reasons and other bullshit so I can beset you. That would be more easy for you to do whatever you want. I don't want to reset. I want you to let me help you. I want to keep Legacy together and stop you from getting evicted by the DRF. Sure, fight against DRF. I can't fight against the DRF without breaking agreements that were signed and Judge knew were in place before you shot Try. Er, threw in with Try. I have agreement with Try. I'm not gonna turn on them. And I'm tired of this DRF RMP shit around. DRF belongs in drone region. You have agreements with us, and Solar, and FCON, and you don't seem to have any issues with turning on either of us. Not in Angel Space. I don't have agreement with Solar and FCON. I'm gonna burn them. 
you did have agreements with Solar. Even if it's gonna cost my entire alliance. I brokered it. I don't give a shit! Dude, like, what am I supposed to do here? You're painting me in a corner. I'm not willing to go back on my word to support allies that go back on their word. Do like you were doing before. If Solar had shot first, I could have backed you. Be, be blue with entire even bend the knee. I could have convinced people that deals were no longer relevant in the context that their members were breaking deals. But in this instance, you're the bad guy. You are in the wrong. Objectively, I cannot throw in with you. That's why I told you in the beginning to fuck off, but you don't understand. You can't manipulate me. I think it's you that don't understand. If it were, if it was just you against Solar, we could have stayed out of it, and we did. We were under no obligation to help Solar, even if they were in the right. But we were obligated to help DRF against Try. They called XIX. And Judge knew that. They involved FCON. I sided with Try, and PGL told me to talk with Try. I told Judge before you guys threw in that if you shot FCON or sided with Try, I couldn't help you. And fight together against DRF. Go ask PGL. And now you want me to throw Try under the bus. Your conversation with PGL was before we were obligated to shoot Try, and I tried to tell Judge that. Try was absolutely an option against the DRF that could have helped you where we couldn't, but you hadn't thrown in with them. They decided to attack FCON, which are before our, which are both our allies, by the way, and that changed the game a lot. Try are shooting the DRF is one thing. Try shooting FCON, who actively puts fleets in catch defending our allies, is another. Tomorrow, CO2 is going on full deployment against FCON in Tenerife. I've warned FCON to stay away from this. Try attacked FCON. But after a few days, they were proud to say they were joining DRF. How can they stay away from getting attacked? To stay away from solar things. How does that stop them from getting attacked by Try? Try and Solar aren't allies anymore. Quote, we were obligated to shoot Try, end quote. Yeah, the thing that Sort Dragon leaked to Reddit, remember? I'm not reading Reddit. Test got a deployment in MTO. In return, the DRF got our pledge to support them against Try and their allies if they attacked first. It was kind of buried in the Sort Dragon mega post, but that's sort of more or less what it was. If Try attacked DRF, Try didn't attack DRF. Or FCON. Oh no, come on. Now FCON too? You're a funny guy. FCON was specifically in the agreement even before they joined the GRF. Just creating new shit. I'm done talking with you. My save. Dude, this is not new information. Even if it were, FCON was in the DRF when Try attacked. I don't give a shit! And FCON is gonna die. They will be evicted. Because they are shit. Why are you so hellbent on evicting your allies? Because they are they... shit. Because they tried to help when someone bigger tried to evict them? FCON are not my allies. You did that with us up north, remember? Asked for help from someone bigger to try to fight Panfam? There's no shame in having allies. Everyone is bigger than someone else and smaller than someone else. 
Allies and politics are how you stay alive. And part of that is being true to your word so people trust you. I don't want to reset, but if you want to do it and shoot our allies clearly, cleanly, we can do that. How long do you want? How long what? Before we reset. Ah, like I said, I was right. You want me to do reset so you can be good guy. You asked me for it. Do you not want to do it anymore? And then you can continue sucking XIX dick. Go fuck yourself, retard piece of shit. Does that mean now then? Well, that was fun. Very nice. That was a lot of fun. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be a fly on the wall on that channel. Holy shit. Well, that's it, guys. Edit Declarations of Word.com. Participate in the show call. Catch up on past episodes. Capitalist Army is recruiting. We're about to do a big recruiting push now that we have our trade hub in NTAC 6 set up. Uh, we just have a few more sell orders we want to put in place, and then we are good to go. Um, this is a huge achievement for our court, but we are not done yet, and I would like you, all my listeners, to be a part of it. Join Capitalist Space Chat in-game. That's Capitalist Chat, space between the two words, in-game. More info, email me, uh, if you're, especially if you're a podcast listener, just email me. Um, we're looking to bring in more listeners to the show, more people that follow my stream, and try to make this corp something really special, and make Right Wildlands great again. Wherever you are, good hunting listeners.